0: Most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live.
1: A fresh outsider's tale tomorrow night from 11 o'clock with Jared Hindmarsh to visit the audio archive for his outsider tales. I make special mention of this because I had a little weep. I think I'm an easy cry. I cry at almost every episode of The Darling Buds of May, and I don't know why. Psychiatrists have tried to figure it out. It's the story of James Mackenzie of the Mackenzie country. Oh, the trial when the poor doggy
0: turns up. He called out, bring in the dog. That's the judge. I saw Mackenzie start and start gnawing his fingers a moment as the crowd stared at the slim, timid little black beast that had outwitted grey old shepherds. The dog went into a frenzy when it got led into the court and saw his master. And in another minute, the slim, sad-eyed thing was scratching and whining at the woodwork, trying to get to Jock. And Jock, the dog's eyes have made a baby of him, six footer that he was the tears began running down and lost themselves in his red beard as he said over and over "A hey, lassie poor lassie they got you too leave the dog to me she was mine she was doing no harm to nobody and she was a good friend to me that has no other leave me the poor beastie I'll make your roads, I'll break your stone. I'll call myself thief, but let her stay. Let me have her. No.
1: The old man, the sheep rustler, and his faithful dog, Friday, both in court. And the dog, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, it's a tearjerker. That's tomorrow night after 11 o'clock. James Crute could save you hours and hours of wasted time in your life by reviewing movies. That's what he does. We're having a look at a Disney thing, Christopher Robin, and also documentary on an Aussie sports star, Wayne Gardner, who is ace on a motorbike. That's up next. Good evening.
0: You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. At the Movies with James Crute on Radio Live.
1: Hello, James Crute, how are you?
2: I'm very good, thank you, Graham.
1: Okay, we're looking at um, two very different movies. Let's kick off with the Disney. Um, it, it looks like it might be very, very popular. I don't know, you tell me. But it's Christopher Robin, the story of Winnie the Pooh. Here's a little from the trailer.
0: I do like a party. Come on, Pooh. What should happen if you forget about me? Silly old bear. I won't ever forget about you, Pooh. I promise. Not even when I'm a hundred.
1: We should be working this weekend, Robin. But I I promised my wife and daughter I'd take them away this weekend. All hands on deck. You won't be coming to the cottage. Well, it can't be helped.
3: Your life is happening
0: now, right in front of you. What to do, what to do, what to do. What to do indeed. Pooh? Christopher Robin. No. No. The tree I remember was in the countryside, not here in
1: London. There's no opening. I suppose it's where it needs to be.
0: That's a silly explanation.
1: Why, thank you. Pooh, why are you here? Oh, yes,
0: I need your help. I've lost all of my friends.
1: A non-animated fantasy thing of Winnie the Pooh, a very, very famous story, James.
0: Yeah,
2: well, I guess this is a bit like Hook. Um, in that it was like the Spielberg movie. This is Christopher Robin all grown up. So it's essentially a fantasy uh, rather than the story itself. And it's funny that it should come out sort of 12 months after we had Goodbye Christopher Robin, which was all about A.A. Milne and the actual, I guess, biography, if you like.
1: Oh, right, yeah, okay. Uh, maybe one um, spurred the other. Who knows? It could be a coincidence. But well,
2: one, of course, is Disney and one isn't. It's interesting because uh, people who watch the trailer or go to see the film will notice that the uh, animation... It, well, the live-action animation, if you like, is is more like the original shepherd drawings rather than the Disney-fied poo that was sort of introduced in the 60s.
1: Yeah, yeah, true. It's um, It's got that sort of your rough-worn old teddy bear, if you still have one, Yeah, isn't it's
2: it? got that lovely plush about it, but the kind of well-worn, mottled almost. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Okay, now the basis of this, he hasn't forgotten them and is imagining or seeing that these things are here and revisiting his childhood. Uh, but the the background to this, um, I mean, it sounds to me from the promo um, that all work and no play stifles your imagination or something like that.
2: Yeah, pretty much. And, of course, there are lots of people who have theories about what the original House of Pooh Corner and other the other stories by A.A. Milne were because he'd had a terrible time in real World War I. And come back with basically PTSD. And so there are some people who argue that each of the characters, Eeyore, Pooh, Piglet, is a different form of mental illness.
1: Oh, really?
2: Well, you think of Eeyore's kind of gloomy sort of thing. Mm. And Piglet is kind of hyper. Well, no, actually, Tigger's hyper. Piglet's kind of fearful of everything. And Pooh, I'm not sure. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay uh, is, Has this got um, Appeal for an adult audience As well as the kids?
2: Well actually I think that's possibly one of its downfalls Is it tries to play to both audiences oh. I actually think it might have More appeal to an older age group um, it, it definitely takes that idea of A.A. Milne and moves it on a generation, essentially. So, of course, this Christopher Robin, and I can't remember whether it was actually the case, is traumatised by what happened in World War Two and feels that he has to look after his wife and daughter by um, throwing himself into his work, which is for a luggage company who are twenty, who need to cut 20%. And so that's why he's missed this weekend with his family in order to, you know, be able to do what he needs to do in order to save the company and his job. Mm. Um, and
1: yeah, just want to. Okay. Um, time to mention dream child again, because <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? it and But if a uh, dream child by Dennis Potter is just, uh, you will find it spooky and moving. And that's along the lines of Charles Dodgson, Lewis Carroll, Alice Wonderland, that sort of thing. But this is, Um,
2: And I guess the funny thing is that this is actually directed by a guy called Mark Forster, who did the other kind of famous Lewis Carroll story, which was Finding Neverland with Johnny Depp and Kate Winslet. Ah, okay. So,
1: Um, who's within wheels? Okay, this is just a matter of taste, very subjective, but um, it's not something that's ever really worried me before. But, you know, I don't like the voice for Pooh. Really? No. That's interesting.
2: I'm not sure whether he's one of one or one of two people who have ever voiced Pooh, But uh, Jim Cummings is his name. And he's been doing it for, I think, 20 years. But it could actually be 40. Oh,
1: good heavens. Okay. Any other famous voices? Who's um, Eeyore? Brad
2: Garrett, who, of course, was in Everybody Loves Raymond, does Eeyore. Mm. Toby Jones is a quite brilliant owl. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the others. But, yeah, there, there's, there's some semi-famous people. It might be Sophie Okanito is rude.
1: Okay. Uh, does Disney tear at your heart for this one?
2: Yeah, they definitely try to. I mean, it is that traditional American, I call it American comedy thing, where it's slapstick humour around family values storytelling.
1: Oh, okay, right. Okay, very good. Not quite as out there as even M.A.S.H. <laughs> <laughs> alright let's move on we've got Wayne and this is funny calling a movie Wayne it makes it hard to search sometimes you've really got to put in some other provisos and, um, we're talking um, world famous in Australia for riding a motorcycle here's uh, something that will give you a bit of an idea mate
2: Australian motorcycling ace Wayne Gardner number one sporting hero down under
1: boy from the gold still works in the mining city the start of my career was gone halves in a $5 motorcycle geez it was great fun people are like who is this guy where has he come from
0: from Wollongong I keep telling them Don't bring
2: you, right? second wasn't good enough
0: the Australian signaling he wants to be number one I knew Prime Minister Pat Cash and Kylie all
1: of a sudden I'm this national hero
0: the first Australian to win the world championship. We had to live this lifestyle you never know existed.
1: I was in heaven like a cat in the fish shop. Righto, and it's got the same production people on this every single freaking promo that put together Riverdance as well. It's the same sound, isn't it? Can we make them stop? <laughs>
2: actually, this is although it's a very Aussie story, it's actually made by a couple of uh, Kiwi producers. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's by the same team that made McLaren. Ah. Um, and are doing the upcoming Scott Dixon movie as well, I believe. Okay, Matthew Metcalf it, has an obsession with motorsport.
1: Right, no, if it's got petrol, they're onto it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Look, I think the thing about Wayne Gardner was he was the first Aussie to be a sort of superbike champion, and he really was that kind of Greg Norman, Shane Warne larrikin sort of style. Okay. And and uh, it, it, it was the coming of age, I think, of of motorbike riding down in this Hemisphere,
0: and and it had
2: that kind of same rivalry as Prost versus Senna within the Formula One. Okay, so it was him against Eddie Lawson, who I'm not actually sure what he was. He seemed to be a Brit, but he sounded Canadian. Okay, but he was definitely kind of an ice cool character, and um, Gardner was this sort of you know Jimmy Barnes-ish sort of dude who turned up and was initially hard-drinking, hard-living, and then he kind of sobered up and lost his mojo a bit and and then rediscovered a bit. The movie kind of posits, oh, he needs the occasional bender, and then he's right.
1: Okay, is this, is he actually a good enough story, or is this just going to be attractive to the Aussies who love a champ?
2: Look, I think it is a good enough story. Main, I mean, it does have that Australian angle, and I think it will probably be way bigger in Australia than it will be here. But uh, he was the one who, who really captured the imagination, eh, kind of a little bit here as well as over there. You could argue that we wouldn't have had, um, what's his name, Stroud afterwards if it wasn't for him. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, a Wollongong boy made good kind of story. It's also a love story, him and his partner who just supported him the whole way, you know, from the bits where he was sort of scrambling around trying to, you know, put, scrape money together, go on the world circuit to the moment when uh, Honda came along and said, let's go to Monaco. And he goes, oh, this is quite nice. They go, And they go, oh, pick a house. You're going to be living here from now on.
1: Uh-huh. Okay, rags to riches, that sort of thing. Yeah, but the he was from also, Wollongong.
2: along with Alan Border and Greg Norman, he was one of the three faces of the Bicentennial. Oh, was he? Yeah, essentially. Well, you have Kylie thrown in as well. But they were the three greats. Boarding men, and they even created an Australian Grand Prix to kind of keep him at the top. So Phillip Island, the poor penguins, were shoved out by the motorbikes,
1: <laughs> just so Wayne could could have a race.
2: Yeah, exactly. Oh, this look—it's a well put together Doco. He is a, a great kind of raconteur. You know, he's a great subject because he's not afraid to, you know, take the Mickey out of himself and point fingers and all that kind of thing. And his partner is equally that way, but there's some clever use of animation to tell some of the, you know, childhood stories, bring them to life Okay. Um, and there's some also great footage of things like the Aussie bear commercials where they even made up a jingle about Wayne Oh yeah,
1: okay, good one um, Honestly though James, it's a similar question that I asked about Christopher Robin uh, if you're not a motorsport fan, if you've never heard of Wayne um, why would I turn up?
2: Uh, yeah, well, it's, you know, documentary subjects are funny, aren't they? So you can go in thinking, oh, you know, I'm not too interested in this. I think it's very much a time period kind of thing. You know, if you dimly remember the late 80s, mid 80s, then this will bring back some amazing memories. I think it's the same thing that attracted us to the um, Bobby Fisher kind of stories of oh, yeah. the 70s. You know, it's. And even the boxing things, these are sports that were massive. The, you know, hundreds of thousands of people watched them. 300,000 when he was at Suzuka in Japan doing one of those races. And the
1: last, last time we paid any attention was Aaron Slight.
2: Yeah, in fact, Aaron's light was the one I was thinking of, wasn't it? Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, we used to be really good at it. I think we probably still do have people win there as well. You know, we we used to be so big in motorsport, yeah. and it used to be pri Well, not exactly prime time, but virtually. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, and Tony Watts's name is now doing farm animal competitions rather than motorsport racing. Oh, is he really? Yeah.
1: Um the accident doesn't. it's it's rather vivid, isn't it when the motorcycle smacks into him, oh God, I recoiled
2: well the, the, yeah i look I don't want to give too much away, but it is an incredible part of the story. This was his first grand Prix he was the rookie rider, and he smacked his bike into the head of one of the veteran champions
1: oh yeah and it's not a pretty look
2: is it it's not and he had he wanted to go to the hospital to see him and things and had to run the gauntlet of not only the media but the guy's family
1: Oh, are basically okay.
2: Calling him a killer.
1: Oh, you've got my attention now. Good one. <laughs> yeah, that's why I might go and see it. Thank yeah. you. Um, and another movie news: Mourinho will he last Manchester United's Just that's not very good, is it? So far in the Premier League.
2: Well, they beat Burnley, so he's probably got a stay of execution. Look, he's having fun. Burnley. But it is the old. It is the old. What is it? Third season s- syndrome with Mourinho. A few more results going the wrong way, and they might have trouble. Yeah. But I mean, who are their replacements? The Dan,
1: essentially. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, Maradona. He'll shift from where he was in Mexico. Uh,
2: Actually, just on that note, apparently they're making a doco about Sir Alex.
1: Of course they are. That's not an apparently, it must be. It has it's to happening. be done. Just the market, the character, the nostalgia, the greatness. Yeah. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. It's like someone's doing it, had to do a documentary about Brian Clough, the greatest manager who's ever pulled on shorts. So true. Yeah. Okay. And Watford, why are they so good this year?
2: Oh, they have started well in the last few seasons, but it's all that money. We can't really call them Watford. It's Udinese of the North. Oh. Because they're basically bankrolled by an Italian club.
1: Uh, Right, St Albans. (laughs) Okay, good stuff. James Crute on cinema and the Premier League in England. Thank you very much. No worries. Graham Hill's Weekend
0: Variety Wireless. On Radio Live. Words, with Max Cryer.
1: Words in papers, words in books, words on TV, words for books, books, words of Here is Max Cryer, for another exposition on the fascinating world of the English language, words, phrases, their origins, and such like I like I that
3: word, exposition, mm.
1: to expose Although something. it's an audio exposition, isn't audio it? Audio
3: exposition. Well, you can sort expose things audioly.
1: Yes. All right. Uh, And if you want to ask Max something, feel free to just email using the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage. You can ask a question on Facebook and the mail address, P.O. Box 880, Simon Street, Auckland. S-Y-M-O-N-D-S. P.O. Box 880, Simon Street, Auckland. Before we get on to your questions for Max, uh, word of the week, and it's COP, C-O-P. COP. Well, it's been in the news the last
3: couple of weeks, often preceded by the word top. Um, So I thought we'd look at the word cop for policemen, which has been in use for 200 years. And some people thought it was an abbreviated reference to a policeman's uniform buttons being made of copper. But that isn't. It's one of those silly rumours. It isn't true and never was true. Cop, the word cop is an English corruption of the French word capere, meaning to capture, capere. In full, the slang word was originally copper, but news headlines are always wanting to fit other words into newspapers and they shorten that to cop. It can function as a noun, one cop, or a verb, to be copped. And I thought just to throw in other slang words that are used about cops there's bobbies, rosses, gumshoes, plod, the filth, narks, the pigs. Flatfoots and
1: the fuzz. And it goes on. I love the fuzz.
3: <laughs> I still
1: call them the fuzz.
3: Or the heat. The heat? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: I think that's pretty American, but who cares? It's still English. Yes, ish. Barely, is what like you would say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, you know, you can copper cop gander out, out there. You know, take a look. Take, yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: But it somehow is, when you say copper, copper feel of this. Copperfield, it's somehow um, there's a faint, faint, very faint aura that it's against the norm. Yeah. When you say copperfield, I presume you mean of an
1: apple. Or well, to yeah, or, just to see if the yeah. avocado is properly ripe. To see if it's ripe. Yes. Oh, oh. It's of course. Quite innocent. Oh yes, in the <laughs> current climate, Max. What else? <laughs> yes, exactly. <All> right. Careful <laughs> over there. Okay. Uh, why do we say somebody's asked flat tack? Meaning, well, my understanding of it anyway, full speed ahead. Yes, exactly right, and also flat out.
3: Well, the meaning indicates, as you say, top speed, full effort, making the maximum. And this flat out, flat tack, and flat stick. Now, flat tack is slightly different. It has four different images, which have been suggested as the origin of the expression. Number one, the pilot's use of a stick when flying. Number two, from horse riding, when the whip is held upright, it isn't being used, but when the whip is in the horizontal position, then the horse is close to being urged, or rather whipped, to go faster. And there are very old-fashioned paintings showing horses galloping, depicted with all four legs stretched out as flat as a horse's legs can be, which is a load of rubbish because horses don't actually look like that at all. But the image has had some influence that the horse is going flat out. Number three, a listener who worked in Australia uh, in the construction industry was told that there was a flat stick used on the word stick being worker slang for the jib of a big construction crane. And when the jib of the crane was placed at right angles to the main, referring to the jib of the crane, of the big crane. Did you follow that? It was no. A, well, it's I a glazed cra- over, a, sorry. It's a crane with a jib that sticks out at
1: right angles. I don't even know what a jib is. I'm well, barely a, a man.
3: It's an extra piece. So we move to explanation, uh, explanation number four. Yeah. The most widely believed origin in most places is the image of being flat out, flat tack, flat stick. Yeah. Is It's the car accelerator which sits at an angle and gets more flat as it's pushed down and then it becomes flat to the boards when it's parallel to the floor of the vehicle, modified over time to flat out. Well, that's all very well, but that can only have happened since cars became commonplace. Right. Now, we've got still got flat tack. Now, flat tack has the same meaning as all the others. It does not seem to be associated with an accelerator, but it's a shortened version. I love this one. It's a shortened version of flat as a tack because when, it when a tack has been hammered in as far as it will go, it is flat, unlike other forms of nail which have a head.
1: Oh,
0: Do you get
3: it? Yeah. Now, Australia has several other versions. They have flat out like a lizard drinking.
1: Well, that's nice. Which is fair enough.
3: Or flat out like a lizard on a log, which, of course, is ironic, because a lizard on a log is generally motionless, so it could be an ironic way of saying a person is not actually very busy. Now, there's plenty of other um, expressions that use flat. We've got flatty, with the shoes with a low heel or no heel. A punctured tyre is a flatty. And it's an abbreviation of a New Zealand
1: flatfish. Oh. You go and catch flatties. You flounder. Yes. Oh, nice. Okay. Gosh, I love a flounder. Yes. It's amazing the amount of times during this piece. Max, we get hungry. Well, yes, it's food is a never ending source of peculiar uses of words. Yeah. Oh, it's just that lovely flesh that just glides off the bones. And I like the, um, the roe, flounder roe. Oh. Oh, it's so yummy. I want one now. Well, uh, it's a bit difficult on a Saturday night at this time, but maybe, you know, you'll have your luck. Yeah, all right. If you've got a flounder and you're nearby... It <laughs> <laughs> could be problems. Bring it in. We'll get the pot on. Lots of olive oil, bit of onion, tomato. Yeah, all of that. Mm. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, somebody has asked, mull over. This is an interesting thing. We all know what it means. Yet another instance of, when you think about it, why... Mull. Why would one mull over something?
3: It's actually quite a problem for people like me because um, it has about five different meanings, although mulling over is understandable. Um, But we'll look at the different meanings. Mull, it's a fragile kind of cloth. that's referred to by Jane Austen. Some of her young ladies wore mull. What did they? It can be the snout of a pig. It can be a total muddle or a mess. It can be a promontory piece of land. As oh, in
1: Paul McCartney bought one. Mull
3: of Kintyre, yes indeed. It can be a kind of snuff box, a kind of soil, a process to make leather supple, mulling, the heating and spicing of wine, which is also mulling, and items ground by a mill into crumbs. Now... Curiously, it's this last one which seems to have become the image of someone thinking or working, actively considering a topic, mulling it over. Mulling over something or a situation with slow and possibly lacklustre attention, that's been used since the 1850s, and it began to be used to indicate, quote, allowing a problem to be resolved by inaction, to let it stew, end of quote. Now, the grinding of a mill seems to be the ancestor of that use of mull to consider slowly, as in to mull something over. Consider with care, turn over in one's mind, examine in detail. Now, the originally, when it was used as a mental process, mull always had mull over as the mill rolled its big wheel over the grain or whatever it was grinding. Oh. And sometimes newspaper headlines looking for brevity... Either left out over or wrote just mulled. And so it's a fairly logical and acceptable way of saying what mulled over has come to mean or just mulled. Okay.
1: I prefer Moldova. Moldova, same, same here. Um, and it's quite a new country as well after the fall of the Soviet Union. What is? Moldova.
3: Oh, Mold- <laughs> That's Moldova.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, We shall take a short break, and when we return, we'll be addressing a country mile. Perhaps the word soccer, and perhaps the words, the phrase anyway, the red carpet and the history of this red thing that famous celebrities are to walk on. Uh, I'm sure that'll be a fascinating story. And more besides, with Max Cryer here answering your questions on words, their origin and meaning.
0: Life, the universe, and everything in between.
1: Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Max Cryer, here he is, uh, fossicking through the books of a week, answering, where possible, uh, questions about phrases and words in the English language, where they come from. And we all pretty much, I'm sure, understand what a country mile kind of means, but a mile is a mile is a mile, Max. Well, yes, that's why the word means is not quite
3: right, Graham, because we know what a country mile signifies, but it is, as you so rightly say, a mile is a mile. Uh, But the term country mile somehow seems to me that a mile in the countryside seems to be longer than an ordinary, real mile. It's a very old term, it's so old that age and origin can't be pinned down exactly, but it's believed to be because people in country areas lived further apart than in urban areas, often with great spaces of land in between rural properties, so country people were accustomed to travelling considerable distances to visit each other or to transact business. Almost every journey was several kilometres, but rural people thought of that several kilometres as a quick trip. Whereas to urban people, the quick trip of several kilometers in a rural area seemed to be slow and ponderous and bumpy, even though not held up by traffic lights or pedestrian crossings. So they would say a country mile, meaning that the distance was long and hard and much bigger than an ordinary mile. Now... When we say something doesn't come within a country mile, we're indicating that whatever it was missed something by a very long way because of the frequent but untrue concept that a mile in the country is longer than what urban people call a mile. Here's an example. Um, This concept of country mile has been around for a long time. Here's a poem I found, 1829, Frederick de Kruger, and a line of it says... The travelling coach had set me down within a mile of yon church town. 'Twas long indeed a country mile, but well I knew each field or style.' So he was using that expression in 1829. Mm-hmm. So the term country mile still crops up not long ago. Uh, I heard a sports commentator say that, quote, although two players are clearly leading ahead, one of those is a country mile ahead of the other. Right. Uh, That's on a sports field that has nothing whatever to do with travelling, but the impression was quite clear.
1: Should be really a rural kilometre now, shouldn't it? (laughs) Yes.
3: I was aware of that when I was doing the work, but I don't hear anybody saying rural kilometre,
1: except Except I hope they would say kilometre. Would you would you kilo, kilometer rather than kilometer?
3: Well, it is a kilo is a thousand meter. Yeah, it's, but we don't a,
1: always sound things as though like from the Greek.
3: Oh, but it depends how what what level of pedantry. You oh,
1: kilometer. You say kilometer. Well, it's kilometre. It's a thousand metres, so it's yeah, kilo yeah, yeah. meter. Hmm. Do you say controversy or controversy? I say controversy. Do you? (laughs) Yeah, because it's
3: controversy. Oh.
1: (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's go for soccer.
3: Well, I don't know why you said that with an American accent, because it couldn't be more British. Um, The word was invented in Britain. It was also one of the first names of what is now primarily known as football. Language commentators tell us that in the early days of the sport among the upper echelons of British society, the usual term for this sport was soccer. Because on October the 26th, 1863, a group of teams in Auckland in England decided to get together and they created a standard set of rules which would be used at all matches. They formed the rules of, quote, association football with the association distinguishing it from many other types of football sports in existence. Why did they use the word association? Did you get into that? Because it was kind of a committee. It was a a jointure of people setting down rules. Right, right. So um, the the word association is actually the clue to the whole thing, because in schoolboy trend of the time, the middle of the word association, S-O-C-C, had the ending er added, so came the slang word soccer, long before the name of just football began to be instigated.
1: I find that bizarre, It's actually. true, it's true. The yeah, tr- but it, you've got a big fat word, association. And they just, you have to get right in the middle there, get rid of an A and an S and put a sock, just use the sock in the middle. Were you ever a schoolboy? Yeah. Did you ever do anything
3: or imagine anything slightly bizarre? Yeah, this is bizarre. Well, it's, we like you.
1: Sock, but why would you even do that anyway?
3: Well, they did. Yeah. Um, So the word soccer became the name just football, began to be instigated. Now, the change is somewhat weirdly associated with the British social structure because the boys we're talking about, the school boys we're talking about, upper-class players tended to prefer saying soccer, but gradually as the game became more popular with the middle and lower classes, the word football gradually began dominating over soccer, remembering that the official name was Association Football. Now, in the 1860s, as in most recorded history for several centuries, there were many other sports around the world played with feet and a ball, including England. As a game of rugby developed in Britain, and let us remember that had nothing whatever to do with anybody called William Webb Ellis, schoolboys of the day liked to nickname everything as they had nicknamed soccer, and they added "er." to rug, so rugby was at the time called rugger. Oh, I've heard it called footer
1: as well. Yes, footer,
3: rugger, rugger and footer. Now, association In was... In the better schools, Max. <laughs> it depends. Association football was by then widely known as soccer and sometimes soccer football. And after a somewhat wobbling period when both soccer and football were being used, the adherence of just the word football won over those who used the term soccer. And those who played rugby, completely erroneously named after rugby school, and the use of the two words rugby and football seemed to have settled down in separate places.
1: Yeah. People get upset. What? Some people get upset when you call football soccer. And yes. W- oh, I
3: know. Yes, that's why I I sort of did this with great detail, because I yeah. thought people might be listening. Why but
0: would it they was, get so upset? It was an
3: upper-class schoolboy's abbreviation of the word
1: association. It's that mm. simple. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with the It's just to be understood. If you go to America and you call soccer, football, they're going to think, you're talking about a different game. So why... Well, be... you are in America because football in America has no resemblance to what we were... No, we've... <laughs> no well, it's, it's the gridiron game, <laughs> yes. the NFL, whatever they but want to call see, it. Uh, but so why, would you go, why would you be upset about that?
3: Well, I don't know, but I'm having a guess here because, as I tried to point out delicately, um, the game itself was originally played by the upper classes. Yeah. And they were the ones who took sock out of the middle of association And whereas the ordinary blokes in poorer suburbs played a kind of football. Uh, So it's possible, and I'm saying possible because I don't know for sure, but I think that there might be a a sort of a lasting um, caution about saying the word football when you mean soccer because you're being lower class. Isn't that bizarre?
1: Oh, the Normans. It's that 1066 all over again. It's the class system that they brought in. Yet again, another example, mucking up the place. Do you think they'll be staying long? I don't think that the two words can be taken seriously as mucking up the country. I bloody think (laughs) I can. Anyway, um, yeah, so football, rugby has become the Toffs game. Oh, other way round, yes. You mean it's
3: reverse? Well, no, it hasn't. It's become the rich people's game. Oh, yeah, rugby well, players are much richer
1: than I mean. Generally, you know, yeah, they go to yeah. Eton and they play. They play <laughs> footer. They wouldn't play that awful soccer thing. I thought, I thought I might see your
3: eyebrows raised, but they didn't, when I said something about the erroneous connection with um, rugby school and William Webb Ellis, which mm. has been
1: exposed as a complete total lie. And rugby used to be much, much more a kicking game. That's how the you get the funny terms like a try. Mm. That's the big thing worth. Seven points or something around there. Um, Seven point pie. uh, Lots of points. And a conversion's not worth many at all. (sighs) But it used to be that the try you'd get to the other end and that would give you the great opportunity for kicking a ball between the posts, which was the entire point of the early, early game.
3: Well, I'm speaking out of my depth here because I don't know. But when you say getting near the other end, you'd have to be... Further away from the other end to kick a ball over the goalpost than you would be to um, put it over the conversion line.
1: I've lost you. Oh, Oh, well, you would have. Shall I call Graham? You've got advice for Graham Henry here or Steve (laughs) Hanson. No, I don't think I'd understand them. <laughs> There's a lot of
3: technical language being used. Yeah. I'll stick to the name. Soccer is an abbreviation of association with an upper schoolboy air added to the end. And football was what the other boys in the streets
1: played. Thank you. We'll uh, we'll move on because yes. we, we may well get lost in a mile. <laughs> I think mire. we already did. <laughs> right. Now, the red carpet. When did this come into use? Why red, I suppose? and. Uh, who was doing it? Actually, you said it. You said the answer without realising it a minute
3: ago when you mentioned that it was coming up. And you talked about celebrities walking on the red carpet. And curiously enough, that's a very close reason why we have the expression. But we'll, we'll start with the two parts. There are two parts to the answer. Red carpet treatment means that someone is being treated as a VIP Red carpets are firmly associated with arriving and departing VIPs. But what is the link between VIPs and red carpets? Red doesn't necessarily signify VIP-ness. You can associate purple with you royalty. You just said penis, Max. I said what? VIPness? Yes. <laughs> There's a hyphen there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> now, um, you can associate purple with royalty. Saffron yellow for some Eastern religions. A high-ranking Roman Catholic like the Pope might be symbolized by white. Mm. Bill Gates' carpet could be gold-covered in various political colors like blue for national, yellow for the act party, it goes on and on. But there's a fairly strong tradition that red indicates importance. And there's no doubt that the use of a red carpet and the phrase, roll out the red carpet, gives immediate indication of treatment which is luxurious or respectful or both. It's a very interesting expression because the concept of using a red carpet for important people is so old it's mentioned by the Greek dramatist Aeschylus in 400 BC. Get out, really? Mm, Really. And red has consistently cropped up in many contexts where something important is indicated. But we move on to the actual question. The growth of the expression red carpet has only gone into general use fairly recently, starting 1934. During the 1930s, there was a train service between New York and Chicago called the 20th Century Limited. Now the train had only first-class carriages, and it was famed for Where everyone else walk. Well, they just didn't take that ride. Right. They, they got there some other way. Okay. And it was famed, this train, for its accommodation of the high-class dining people. Now, obviously, only rich or important people travelled on this train, and the path walking onto the train at Chicago Station and New York Station was always a strip of red carpet. 1934. So the concept of important people in red had been around for 2,000 years, but the actual phrase, red carpet treatment, and roll out the red carpet, appear to have risen from that train, and it's very simple advertising trick of laying a strip of red carpet in the station so that passengers felt that they were important, even if they were only rich, which isn't actually the same thing.
1: It's uh, It rings true, that, as the beginning yes, of the tradition, because uh, yes. it's the beginning of America becoming coming on the rise, very much on the rise in yeah. global, cultural. And also stuff.
3: also America's um, obsession with class distinction. I mean they pretend not to be classless, but here they are putting out a red carpet and a train which only rich people can use. Yeah. And that's not what you think of as America being the land of the free. Anyway, I'm looking at the or land of fr- free to be as rich as you like. Well, as rich as you can be, I don't yeah. think light like comes into right, it. Right, right, right. But we'll look at tomorrow's date. 42 years ago, tomorrow, a new word was entering our everyday language. For some time, the national government had been considering amalgamating police records and driving license information and all of the details into a central database. It was considered that this could be achieved by organising a recently available system called a computer, and there was considerable public antagonism to this. It was a threat to civil liberties, a sinister real-life tool of antagonism, a similar fictional image of Big Brother... But the government was adamant that such development was necessary to keep track with modern advancements. They did, however, plan to appoint a privacy commissioner who would investigate any allegations which were made about abuse of power. So, on September 9, 1976, the go-ahead legislation was passed that the computer, which would fill a whole building, would go ahead, which it did in Wanganui. And indeed, quite soon, there were two breaches of confidentiality. One involved confidential file information being illegally passed on to an activist. And another point, a man blew himself up with a homemade bomb
1: Hmm. right at the computer building's front door. That is a remarkable event in New Zealand history. That doesn't happen often in this country, does it? Well,
3: it must have been a fierce disregard for... The government's honesty and efficiency, because the system yes. the system kept going till 1995, and the computer centre closed then. But the stored information in it all went to Wellington. What is intriguing? Um, I was passing through Wanganui roundabout when I was there, yeah. was the size of the building in which our computer in those days yeah. took up. Yeah, I mean the idea of carrying one in your pocket was completely <laughs> out of the question. Yeah,
1: true. I want to, to, oh, yeah. Well. Um, maybe they could just do it all in a phone box now. Well, you can carry a laptop, can't you, oh. and do amazing things? The man who killed himself was a young anarchist by the name of Neil Roberts. That's right, he was, yes. And he graffitied on the side of the Wanganui Computer Centre, we have maintained a silence closely resembling stupidity.
3: Is that so? Yeah. He was quite literate then. Yeah. So, so no, uh, some true anarchists are. <laughs> Yes, but um, I found that when I came across this, I found it interesting. That was 42 years ago from, well, tomorrow,
1: yeah. 42 years ago, the word computer was still a dangerous word. Yeah, true. Uh, okay, Max, thank you very, very much. And just a reminder, if you want to ask Max anything to do on the subject matter, the English language, uh, go to the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage. The email clicky thing is easily seen there, just ask away. Those emails come to me, I pass them on to Max. If you want to ask something on the Facebook page, that's easy enough to do. Uh, Just right away, I'll pass them on. And uh, Max will find them in his inbox and rummage through and do the research. Oh, and we didn't um, talk about Aretha Franklin A a couple of weeks ago. She died, there's been the funeral since and everything you were you saw Aretha Franklin at the Grammys yes i did she never she didn't sing, and I only
3: saw her briefly, but it was impressive. I remember it extremely well because she was she had an aura about her, which was. Very noticeable and very memorable at the Grammys, which is saying something which is filled with number one celebrities and glittering things going on. Mm. But what happened was that there were uh, celebrities coming onto the stage and announcing things and presenting various awards, Mm. and when it was a certain award that Aretha Franklin was to present, she came onto the stage, and I was immediately impressed with the sort of – not humbleness is not quite the right word – but the sort of anti-glamour pleasant confidence that she had. She just stood there in a sort of rather plain dress and she wasn't a beautiful woman, but she had an aura about her. But the best bit was that everybody in America uses a um, camera cue from a television camera all the time, right through the Oscars and everything. And she was looking to see for the screen to say, to put the words of what she was to say. Mm. And there was a man standing in front of it. And that's why I remember her so well, because in the most polite kind of way, she said, Would the gentleman in the green jacket mind
1: moving to the right or the left, please? Oh, no. This is like someone in front of the sight screen in the Basin Reserve. But it's true. And, and of course, everybody knew what she meant.
3: But she sort of – I wouldn't say got away with it because that's not fair. So the bloke in the green coat must have moved because she smiled and then she went into her speech because she could see the screen to read it. Right. But in a glittering evening with every star you've ever heard of, I do remember – Five minutes of Aretha Franklin on stage, even
1: when she didn't sing. She had the X Factor. Yeah, yeah. She's got something. She had something, all right. Um, and, oh, how was the after party? Did you go to Paul McCartney's place after that? <laughs> Paul McCartney doesn't have a place in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> He's in a hotel. All right, Max. He you. was sitting next to me. Does that count? <laughs> was he really? <laughs> Matt, but Paul McCartney was sitting next to you? Yes. What did you chat about? Well, oh, the chatting's not a not a sort of practice at an oh. event like that
3: because you're watching what's happening and watching Aretha Franklin saying, with well, the man moves so she could read the cue. Right,
1: right, okay. Far out. When was that? Can you tell us? Oh, gosh, 19-something. <laughs> Spot on, Max. <laughs> Thank you very much, Max, and uh, we'll talk again soon.